morning, church family. Wow. We're part three this week of our, our Look to Christ series, and we're going to be at a book of Revelation. That's kind of exciting for me because uh, although I'm pretty new at preaching, I've never preached out of the book of Revelation. And uh, I'm so grateful. Thank you for the church family allowing me to do this because I've been lost in Revelation all week long. I've been staring at Revelation chapter 5, and it's just staring at the glory of Christ in heaven. And last week, as Pastor Victor talked about how God had a plan to get us back, how he loves us so much that he had a plan to say the seed of the woman will crush the head of the snake or the serpent or the dragon, but the heel of the seed would be bruised. And today's uh, title of sermon is called Christ, the Lamb of God. So today we're going to look at that element, that side of Christ, Christ, the Lamb of God. And um, as John the Baptist said in, 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 uh, in John 1.29, he says, Behold, in other words, look, look, there is the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world away. All right, that's another way. He says, look to Christ. John the Baptist was saying, look to Christ. And today we're going to look at how the Apostle John was able to look into the throne room of heaven. And he still sees the Lamb of God. And they're still saying, look, look to Christ. Look to Christ. So the, uh, the, the, uh, the author of the Gospel, John, writes in Revelation as well. John is able to share with us what he sees. And so before we start the sermon, let me just pray and just uh, ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for the glories that you reveal in the book of Revelation. Thank you how you encouraged John as he's aging, as he's waiting to die in the island of Patmos by himself. Thank you, Father, for this landmark chapter in Revelation chapter 5 that just gives us a clear picture of you, Lord Jesus, in heaven. So God, I just pray that you would do a work in our hearts right now. Spirit of God, allow us to see your son Jesus more clearly today so that we will love him more, so we will transform more into his image. Allow us to see him more clearly today. And I pray that worship happens through it. Because of it, we will worship him more with greater intensity, greater passion, greater purpose. We will be a one mind worshiping the king. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be at Revelation chapter 5. Revelation is at the end of the Bible. Last week we were at the beginning of the Bible at Genesis chapter 3. Now we're flipping over to the back of the Bible. And right now, this I mean it, this is a landmark chapter. Chapter 5 is a huge monumental chapter that gives us just the majesty of Christ. A little bit of context as you're just turning there, Revelation chapter 5. The Apostle John authored Revelation. The Apostle John is probably in his 80s. Okay, it's probably around 50, 60 years since he saw the Christ sacrificed on the, on, the, on the cross. 50 years since he's seen Christ resurrected from the grave and ascend back to heaven. 50 years or so saying, hey, go out and make disciples. During that time, John the apostle has had a hard time. He's seen his best friends killed. Some, some hung on a cross. Some had their heads cut off. All of them have died an early death, a martyr's death. And now he's the only one left. And it hasn't been an easy life for him either. 
You know, they, tradition has it, they try to boil him alive, they try to beat him, but he was resilient, he survived. And finally, the Romans would just throw him on an island called Patmos. Really, it's not like a Hawaiian island, nothing like that. I mean, this is for him to die. And he's there alone, perhaps pondering, was it worth it? Right? He's thinking, wow. And there's massive persecution going on in, in, in the life of the church. And so a little bit of context before chapter 5. Chapter 4 gives us a clear picture. We sung a lot of this earlier in Holy, Holy, Holy. Chapter 4 and chapter 5 are really connected. You could make it one big chapter. But chapter 4 talks about how John is able to look into the throne room of heaven. He sees a father seated at the throne. He sees four angelic creatures worshiping and saying, Holy, Holy, Holy. The Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. It reminds you of Isaiah chapter 6 where these angels are worshiping so intensely that the foundations of the temple are shaking. There's smoke coming out. This is an intense scene that John sees. This is not a casual scene. And also what he sees also is this. He sees 24 elders seated on, the, on thrones. The 24 elders represent the church. They're dressed in white. Robes pure. They have crowns and throw. Uh, they have crowns, and they cast their crowns before the Lord. And then this is the church. This represents the church. The church has been raptured, and we're in God's presence right now. So this is what John sees: an intense scene of worship, God's holiness, and then Christ. The Lamb of God takes center stage here in, in Revelation chapter 5. This is where we're at now. So this intense scene here is where John sees Christ. So let's rise. We'll be reading out of John, uh, Revelation chapter 5. This is God's word here. We're all in heaven observing this thing. I saw in the right hand of him, that's God the Father, who sat on the throne, a book or a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book or the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep, bawling, greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, or look, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome, so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came, the lamb came and took the book out of the right hand of him, Father, who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. These are the prayers we offer up. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue 
and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. Verse 11. Then I look, he takes a step back. Then I look, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and a number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, uncountable, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing, everything that was ever created, which is in heaven and on the earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all things in them, I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne, that's the Father, and to the Lamb, Jesus, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Verse 14. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders of the church fell down and worshipped. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to preach your word. I pray your word will be preached with power and conviction. I pray, Lord, that we will be taking from one level of glory to another as we stare into your face, as we look to you, Jesus, in the clearest picture that you've given us through your scriptures. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Have a seat. As I was uh, just preparing for this sermon, what came to mind was, you know, there's been a couple times that, uh, you know, me and, and some teammates and some coaches were able to visit the White House twice, matter of fact. Twice and under two presidents, and uh, it was an incredible experience. We got to go into Washington D.C., see some of the monuments and all that stuff. That was incredible. But the highlight of the of the trip was going into the White House. All right, they invite you to visit the president if you win national championships or Super Bowl. So we were there, and then we we're kind of into this room, and with pictures, they have old portraits of past presidents and things like that. Old kind of nice uh, artifacts lying around. So we're just, it's a casual thing. But then as you walk in through the halls, they don't let you go everywhere, but they, you know, they have some stuff curtained off a little and, and roped off. But as you walk in through the halls, you see military people. I mean, they got all their shiny medals and the shiny brass and all that. I mean, you see some, you see some generals in there walking through. I'm like, okay. And then you see all kinds of men and women in suits all suited up, holding their, uh, their briefcases and their folders. I'm like, huh, I wonder what they're here for. Right? And then you see all kinds of people. And then you see these guys with suits with these earpieces on, holding some big guns. I'm like, okay, this is serious, isn't it? I mean, big ones. Some stuff you see in the, in, in the movies. Right? I'm like, that could cut me in half. Right? I mean, it's, it's intense. And then we get into this room, this gathering room, just where a bunch of football players and coaches are hanging out. We're, you know, we're, we dressed apart. And they're there, and we're waiting they see, and then there's other, other guys come in with suits, same thing. And these are the Secret Service agents. They're here to protect the president at all costs. And then before you know, they, they give us a warning. Okay, the president is about to come. You, you should stand up when he comes. And sure enough, here comes the president. And that's that moment. It's like, wow. And you're kind of in awe a little bit because he might have just come from a meeting with those generals and whoever else deciding some major global decisions that's going to take place and affect the world and our country. And there he is. He's switching gears. And, you know, as if, oh, the stressful things of life, being a president, you get to meet a bunch of players and coaches. That's the fun part. And he's in a good mood. Both of them were. And, and, and we start shaking their hands. But you feel the weight of that, being, even being in a place like the White House, all right? 
How much more now? John the Apostle in Patmos is staring into the heavenly throne room of God where every decision is made. Kings and queens and princes and emperors and, and we think we have control but really all the control is happening up in heaven. This is what John sees. And in chapter 4, there's immense worship going on. Singing, intense worship is going on. But chapter 5, there's like a change of gears right here. The worship turns into mourning. All right, so let me just read verse 1 here. All right, before, verse 1, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, okay, he sees the Father, a book or scroll written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. What is this scroll? This is the title deed, all right? This is the title deed of all of creation. Whoever owns this scroll owns all of creation. This is what he sees. And what's written in it? What's written is the redemptive plan of God to get his creation back. The detailed plan from Genesis 3.15, how, how God says that the seed of the woman crushed the serpent's head. That's all there. It's a very detailed plan on how God, the Father, the Holy, Holy, Holy One, will get his people back and get creation back. This is what's there. And the seven seals, seven is the number for completion or perfection. It's absolutely sealed. And these are seals of judgment. As each seal is taken off, judgment happens one after another. This is what captures John's attention. John is started looking at this scroll. Keep in mind, he's on that island, and he's, he's, he, this captures the focus. The deed which unveils God's perfect plan to get us back to the Garden of Eden. All right? So point number one, the question is asked, who is worthy? Who is worthy? The Bible says. All right? This is a strong age of proclaiming. That's with a loud voice. He's screaming. He wants all of creation to hear, all of heaven to hear. Who is worthy to open up the, the book and to break its seal? Who is worthy? Who is deserving? Who merits this uh, opportunity to do this? In essence, who is the rightful owner of the scroll? Who could actually do this? None of the angels can. No created being can. None of the elders are able to. The Bible says no one is worthy. Who could carry the weight of, what's, of the responsibility of taking the scroll and opening it up? Who could counteract the balance of, what's, of the weight of what's required to own this thing? I mean, this is the biggest question of all. Who is worthy? All right? Is it some, there's a lot of teachings in this world. You know, does Buddha have the right answers? Is some other false teacher have the right answers? Is it some president worthy? Is some king worthy, some emperor worthy? Or is Satan right? Are you the one that's worthy? Look to yourself. Right? Who's worthy? To open it up, read it, execute what it says, and to get the people back. It says nobody is worthy. And this is what John starts weeping. He starts bawling like, ah, oh no. He's in this vision. He's seeing heaven. He's, no, he's bawling immensely there's an intense ball and this is not just a couple of tears trickling out it's like everything all my friends that died was it worth it all these tears represents adam and eve being kicked out of the garden this represents the tears that they shed when they had to bury their son abel after being murdered by his own brother 
This, these tears represent all the things that perhaps you're going through right now. Any loss, any hurt, it goes right back to that. John is bawling right now. These are John's thoughts. Like, what is going on? No one? Who is worthy? And right here, verse 5, here, I want to just read verse 5. As he was weeping, and as no one was found to open up or take the scroll, and one of the elders said to me, all right, I don't know who that is, one of the elders said to me, stop weeping, behold, or look, the line that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. Who is the line of Judah? Who is the root of David? These are all messianic terms. These, this is talking about Jesus. This elder says, hey, look to Christ right now. Even in heaven, John, don't, wait, don't weep. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. You don't have to look any further. You've been staring at the right one so far. This whole time, John, the one that you love, he's the one that's worthy. Point number two says, look to Christ. The Lion of Judah, this prophecy all over it. In Genesis 49, you can look to it yourself. Afterwards, it talks about how the, the, the king will come out of the tribe of Judah, the Lion of Judah. And then the root of David, Isaiah 11 says, the king, the eternal king, will come out of the Lion of David, the root of David. The Lion of Judah, this refers to Jesus' power and, 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 and fierce intensity. The root of David talks about David's royal authority as king. Has overcome. Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. He's been victorious. He's vanquished the enemy. All right? This is the whole buildup. This is the whole buildup. But how? Did Jesus do it like a lion with his power and might take over? Did Jesus do it with his royalty, his royal authority, and say, I'm the king, I'm taking over? Is that how this happened? Well, this is where Jesus takes cent, uh, front center stage here. Keep in mind, John's view has been the Father, the scroll, the 24 elders, the angels worshiping right now. I mean, this is an intense scene. And what mutes all that is Christ right here in verse 6. And I saw between the throne, that's God's Father's throne, with the four living creatures, powerful angelic beings, and the elders, these 24 elders, the church, a lamb standing as if slain. With all that intensity, with all that power, with all that majesty, he just notices the lamb. And this lamb is like a little ewe lamb. This is not even a full grown, this is a small lamb. And this, is this lamb looked like he was slain, but it, it was standing as if he was alive. The lamb was alive. Jesus is alive. But the marks of the cross are still on him. He's beaten. He's mutilated. He's, he, he, this, is, this is the lamb? This is the one that takes all the attention? He did not see some mighty warrior. He didn't see like a mighty general. He didn't see some superhero like you find out of the Avengers. He didn't see any of that stuff. He saw a lamb standing there. And how does a lamb crush serpent's head? How does a lamb even compete with the great dragon or the great serpent? How, how does a lamb do that? The Bible says the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John 1.29. Brutally beaten. In Genesis 3.15, as Pastor Victor read, his heel was bruised. He was clearly bruised. He was marked up. 
It costs the lamb. But he'll stand and he was alive. Now, this is an interesting thing here. This lamb had seven horns. That's a little different. Seven horns. Like we talked about earlier, seven is a number for perfection or completion. Horns represents power. Seven, absolute power this lamb had. Seven eyes, complete, absolute knowledge and vision. This all-knowing, all-powerful lamb was slain. This is, talks about the humility of Christ. Christ was allowed himself to be slain. He had the power to do anything he wanted, but he submitted to the Father. This is an absolute massive moment here. And what does Jesus do next? And he, verse 7, he came and took the book or the scroll, the title deed, from the Father's hand, the right hand, who sat on the throne. Boom! That changed everything. And right then and there, Jesus humbly takes this scroll and says, this, I, this is mine. I'm the rightful owner to all this. Jesus purchased the title deed of creation on the cross. Beaten. Murdered. The innocent one, the holy one, like Pastor David talked about. Pure one. Stained with blood now. Took on our sin. The Lamb of God. He didn't come with his power and his might to conquer the, the snake. He came as a humble lamb. Let me read Philippians for us, Philippians 2. It'll be up there behind me, I believe. Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, seven horns, seven eyes, and did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He left the throne, but emptied himself taking, by taking the form of a bondservant, took on human form, human flesh, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is it. This is what the, the one that John's been waiting for humbled, beaten, standing before all these incredible beings. Well, right now, this is about to be a cosmic eruption right here. The throne room of heaven is about to explode right now. This is what John sees. Right here, what's going to happen is the coronation of Christ. Christ is going to be crowned the king. And Christ is coming back to form his forces to get creation back. Let's read here, Revelation chapter 5. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the one that we've been waiting for. Verse 5, I mean chapter 5, verse 8. When he had taken the book, this is the coronation of Christ. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures, all right, those angelic beings, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, before Jesus, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And what do they do? What do they do? All right, first of all, just a little sidebar here. If there's any doubt, any doubt, all right, that Jesus is God, here's a clear picture that Jesus is God. No one, no one in God's throne room is going to be worshipped other than God himself. Does that make sense? The angels and we are all worshipping the Lamb right there in, in the Father's presence. 
This is a clear picture of Jesus' divinity. And what do they start doing? They start singing, verse 9 and 10, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seal. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. John was able to see people that he's never even laid eyes on before. People that, like, that look like you and me are in heaven. As John is on the island of Patmos, is it worth it? The message got through. People are saved beyond the, spe- the, the realm of what he even thought or even seen. Those are all kinds of people groups, all kinds of languages, all kinds of ethnic backgrounds, all kinds of continents, all kinds of different languages are represented there. I mean, what kind of encouragement must, must have that been for John? Verse 10, you had, still singing, you had made them to be a kingdom and priests for God, a kingdom, a community group. A community group of people under a king, that's Jesus, and priests to serve and minister to the Lord. And they will reign upon the earth. We are going to reign upon the earth. What? The Bible says that we're going to help Jesus rule the earth with him. I mean, as, 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 as I'm thinking about this, this is too much. I mean, I'm staring at this all week long. This is too much. What do you mean I get to rule with you, Jesus? What? And, and, and this is an interesting thing. If you don't like to sing here at church, get used to it. You're going to be singing in eternity with, before the Lord, okay? You might as well start liking it now and start practicing and singing your brains out right here, okay? Because we will be singing right here. I see that we're going to be singing. It's going to be a beautiful song there. And as, as, I, as I'm looking at this, I'm just getting taken to one level to the next here. Like, oh, my goodness. Am I reading this right? Am I really understanding this? Do we understand right here? Christ is king. And Christ says, you get to be my people and priests. And by the way, you're going to help me rule. And the Bible teaches that there's degrees of, of rewards in heaven, believe it or not. So your faithfulness to Christ right now will determine the, the levels of reward that you have in eternity. Now, we know that our works do not save us. We know that. It's by grace. It's a free gift. But our rewards are absolutely earned. By God's grace, we earn these things. Your faithfulness to the Lord is how you will be rewarded. It says that we were purchased. And, 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 and that picture that we have, think of a slave market. We were all once slaves, and we were purchased by Jesus' blood. We were once slaves. Slaves to sin. And we were purchased by Jesus' blood, the Bible says. And Jesus is like standing there as the lamb. And in verse 11, John is just absolutely captured by Jesus right now. I mean, he, he sees peripheral. He sees the Father for sure. Peripheral, he sees the 24 elders. Peripheral, he feels and sees the four angelic beings. But he's fixated on Christ. He's absolutely captured and enamored by Christ right now. But then something happens in verse 11. It says, then I looked. The Bible says, then I looked. As if he took, a, he took a step back and kind of panned out a little bit. And what did he see? What did he see? Verse 11 says this. And I heard the voices, voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures. Those are the four living creatures. And the elders. And a number of them, the angels, were myriads of myriads. Ten thousands by ten thousands. And thousands of thousands. They were countless. Whoa, where do these angels come from? 
Everybody was watching this scene. Everybody. The Bible in 1 Peter 1.12 says the angels longed to see this moment. This is what they've been waiting for. I mean, this is a scene right now. I mean, I, I've been to some incredible events, sporting events and things like that. I mean, it, some things are to behold, but this is, this is, none of those things even compare to this. They're actually staring and applauding and seeing this is the one, the Lamb of God. This is how God does it, through this Lamb. And the coronation of Christ continues, and that these thousands and countless numbers, millions upon millions of saints, that's us, that's the four mighty uh, angelic beings, and the myriad and myriad of angels start saying with a loud voice, this is not a whisper, there's intensity here, there's some excitement here, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. That's everything. He, Christ is exalted here. This is what's happening here in Philippians 2, verse 9. It says, for this reason also God highly exalted him. Can you think of a higher exaltation of what I just read for you? And bestowed on him the name which is above every name, supreme, preeminent one. Christ is Lord, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what's happening right here. In verse 13, it says every created thing is going to worship Jesus right now. Every created thing. And they start worshiping the king right there. And, and, and and in verse 14, and the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. I agree. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And the elders, the church, falls down and worshiped. This is what we're looking forward to, guys. This is the one that we've been waiting for. This is the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world away. I mean, as I read this, I mean, I can't, I can't think of how your heart is not lifted up reading this. This is the one. And we have a conviction at our church here. All right. And I want to be very clear about this. We have this whole sermon series called Look to Christ. Right? Look to Christ. And that could mean a lot of things for a lot of people. What does it mean to look to Christ? When I read this, is look to Christ. We have a conviction here today. We looked at the aspect of Christ, the Lamb of God, today. In heaven, in heaven, brutally beaten, in heaven, standing with his marks, the marks of the cross still on him. The humble Lamb is exalted. And right now, I hope and I pray, I've been praying that this view of Christ will be absolutely crystallized in your heart right now. Because it's not me talking to you right now. This is the Bible. You've seen it yourself, how Christ is described in the Bible. And the reason, the best, the clearest way you have to look to Christ is simply looking at the book, the Bible. That's why we have a commitment to preach the Bible. The Bible calls me to preach the word. Any pastor or any preacher that comes up here, any elder that comes up here is to preach the word. Any faithful preacher is to preach the word. Not preach my, my own ideas of Jesus. Not preach my own wisdoms and my own uh, uh, likings, but to preach the word. 
And when we do that, you have a clear picture of Christ. Right now, you should be seeing Christ and HGTV and 4D and all that. He should be a lot clearer to you right now than he was 30 minutes ago. Christ. This is what we want to look to Christ. So we're going to give you Christ. And what's interesting, next week, today we kind of focus on the humility of Christ and how he's able to capture the universe back from Satan's hands and, and, and sin. Boom. Next week now, we're going to be at Revelations 19. Revelations 19 is the same coin, but the different side. Jesus may be the Lamb of God, but you flip the same coin. Next week, you're going to see the line of Judah. And during this time now, the stage is set now. In essence, this was Christ's coronation, but also he's getting his forces ready. I mean, think about that cosmic encounter now. Jesus is getting his forces ready. I mean, think about this now. This is a real historical future event. Jesus is getting his forces ready to come back on his white horse with his sword to destroy every single one who's not with him. And if you're not on his team, you will face his wrath. But if you're with him, believe it or not, you and I, we're going to be coming with the, with the Lion of Judah Acting like we're going to help out, but we're just really going to be watching, I think, most of it, you know. Jesus is going to set up his kingdom forever. And before he does that, he needs to destroy his enemies. Christ has been coordinated. This is what we're looking for. And, and as each seal is taken off, there's seven seals on this scroll. You can read ahead. If you, if you want to assign me, you can read Revelation 6 to 19 this week. As each seal has popped off, the tribulation starts to unfold on earth. All hell starts breaking, on, uh, breaking out on earth. third of the people are destroyed. Waters are destroyed. Millions of human uh, armies are being assembled. And meanwhile, as God is, as Jesus is assembling his forces, Satan is assembling his forces as well. The Bible says that the pit is opened up. Right? And as God's Bowls of wrath is poured out on, on earth. The, de- the, the, the pit is opened up. Saint and the demons are being released right now. Think about that now, okay? This is crazier than any Avenger movie that you can think of, okay? Think about this. This is real now. And these demons actually take cu- uh, physical form, and they're just tormenting the, the planet. And then we jump ahead, so that's what's happening. As each seal is being popped off, one, two, three, four, five, six, and then seven... Boom, it, it, the tribulation's taking place. We're in heaven with Christ, worshiping him and getting ready to come down. And Jesus is setting the stage for that cosmic encounter where he goes, no more. Mine. He just takes it back. So next week, we're going to be out of Revelation 19, and Jesus is coming back to make it all good again. And this is how Jesus sets it up. This is exactly how Jesus gets us back into the garden. This is exactly how, as the father looked at Adam and Eve and they have to get kicked out, he says, don't worry, you're going to be back in here someday. I'm going to get you back in here. And now, not just Adam and Eve, but every single one of us who call Jesus Lord. This is happening. So you say, uh, Pastor Rocky, you know, that, that's in the future events, and like, you know, I, I'm struggling with stuff right now. Like, help, give me a little something with the issues that I have with life right now. 
And you may be thinking that right now, like Pastor Rocky, um, uh, help me with my trials at work, my marriage, uh, my kids, my health concerns. Uh, and those are real things. I don't know what's any, anything more practical to tell you than that. John, the apostle, is aging. He's dying alone. He's struggling in health. He's struggling in his relationships. He's lonely. He's struggling. Do you think he's worried about self-esteem at this point? No. All right? And what does Jesus do for him? He gives him a picture. Hey, John, I got you. I know you're the disciple that loves me. And I love you too. I got you. Here's a little bit of encouragement. This is what's coming. It's all worth it. So as I, if I have a chance to apply this truth for us, whatever you're going through right now, whatever trial it is, God makes it all better. You don't have to weep like John. John was bawling like, oh no. Right? Think about his state at that moment. It's like, nope. I'm sorry I even doubted you, Lord Jesus. This is as practical as it gets. We get to look into the throne room of heaven and know that his forces are getting together, and we actually get to be with him as he, com as he comes down. And here's good news. It, after the tribulation, there's all craziness going on earth. There will be a, the greatest revival that the world's ever seen during that time, although it will be very expensive for these saints who come to know Christ during that tribulation. We'll be called up with him and coming back to reclaim the earth and, and gather the elect. That's what's happening right now. And then next week, we're going to see how Jesus does it. Revelation chapter 19. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for how good you are. Jesus, like, I thank you that you give us a clear picture that you are the ultimate hero. As our culture is absolutely captured and enamored by uh, fake heroes and, 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 and fairy tale things, Jesus, you are the real deal. You are the one that we look to. You're the one that we waited for. You're the one that doesn't disappoint. You're the one that never dies. You're the one that makes it all good. You're the one that makes all the promises yes and amen. Lord Jesus, we know that you are the Lamb of God. We thank you for your humility. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we're able to see you exalted through your humility. But we're also grateful that you're also the Lion of Judah who's going to come and judge and to take care of your enemies forever. Your enemies and our enemies since we're on your team. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we get to come with you and accompany you as children, acting like they're helping their parents. But ultimately, we know you're the one that's going to do everything. So Father, I thank you for this picture of worship that's taking place in heaven. I pray, Lord, that this, what was preached, will be absolutely crystallized in the hearts of our people, your people here, and you will take their level of worship, from one level of worship to the next. May it just be a natural thing, because it isn't something that we just want to muster up through our own gut or our own fortitude, but Lord, we want to just see you more clearly in HD, so that we will just worship you, just be in awe of you, so we just can't help it. Christ, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for the privilege of seeing this coronation. We long and look for this day. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.